to Totalus Rankium. This week, Theodosius II! Hello, and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob. Ranking all the emperors from Augustus to Augustus, and this is episode 74, Theodosius II. Ooh. Oh. Do you notice how we both sound really well-rested at the moment? Yes, we do. Well, I don't. I've felt awful the last oh. few days. <laughs> but it has been a, a long time since we've done this. Two weeks? Two and a bit weeks, Two, wow. I think. This, possibly. This is the longest break we have had <laughs> since, I think, like, Nero. Yeah. I think right at the start we had, like, a, a bit of a break. Yeah. It's the longest period of time I've gone without reading a Roman history book. Wow. Yeah. Must be weird. It was. Back into I was reading lots of American history books instead. Ah, okay. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> On holiday. And uh, yeah, so I'm having to try and remember that Theodosius is not a president. <laughs> I'll keep reminding you. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. And also, it's going to be a long one. Yeah. Yeah, interestingly. Because you said they get really short. Well... No, I'm sad about it. I, 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 Theodosius II is a bit of an exception, um, but then there were, were also the others that were also exceptions. We've got two more after this, and then we hit the last nine. Oh. The last nine are the short ones, I think. <laughs> we'll find out. As, as, as far as I'm aware at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a bit confusing at the moment, because we've got a sort of, like, uh, Constantius... Honorius is still alive when Constantius died, right? Yes, he was. So that's messing my head up a little bit. <laughs> but Constantius done a lot of good for the the pre, um, presidency. Oh god, he's, <laughs> he's done a lot of good for the empire, and yeah. um, you know he's pushed the barbarians back. He's doing well. He's focused. Yeah, but you're talking about the West. Yes. Oh, we're in the East today. Oh. Yeah. Right, it's been a while. Let's do a little recap. Thank you. Yes. So I don't think mine class is a recap. <laughs> More of a gabble. Yeah. So, Theodosius, the original, died after pretty much unifying the empire. Not perfectly, but he did an all right job. He left the east to his son Arcadius, if you remember, and yeah. the west to Honorius. They were great. They were great. Neither of them did anything. Under Arcadius, the east was run by Rufinus to begin with, and then he died, and then Eutropius, the eunuch, remember? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yes, you remember. Who <laughs> <laughs> got ideas above his station and then was exiled or executed, we're not sure. Then Arcadius was married to Eudoxia, who then took over things. Yeah. Yes. And his wife seemed to have quite a lot of control, but lots of statues up, etc. Together, they have three daughters one of whom is important for later. This is a girl named Aelia Pulcheria. So that's all you need to know, recapping the East for now. But okay. in the West, where we got to, Stilicho is still alive at this point. Stilicho! Yeah, Stilicho. He's alive. He's about to face Alaric in the first invasion of Italy. Oh, passionate. Yeah. <laughs> the big massive invasion of 405-406 has not happened yet. Okay. That massive invasion that comes over the Rhine? Yep. No, it's just not happened. We've gone further back in time. Sack of Rome has not happened yet. Constantine III's uprising has not happened yet. So we're, we're going quite a bit back here. Yeah. So, let's begin. In 401, Arcadius and Eudoxia have a child. 
Oh. And this time it's a boy rather than all those girls they had before. Oh, good. <laughs> well, That's probably what they said. You say the misogyny of the Romans, we'll come to that later. Because this is where the East is a little bit different to the West. Ooh. Yeah. But we'll come to that. Anyway, this is a boy. This is Flavius Theodosius Junior. Junior? Junior spout with an I. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's Junior. It's Junior. Yeah, yeah. It's just Junior. Yeah. So, uh, just little little Junior. And you'd say, you'd be granddaddy would be so proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's cover this. Obviously, as Theodosius too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think you gathered that, didn't you? Who? Yeah. <laughs> so let's cover Theodosius II's early life before he becomes the emperor. He gurgled for a bit. He pooped. He dribbled for about a year. Kids do. Yeah. That's his early life before okay. becoming an emperor. <laughs> because in 402. Theodosius II was declared Emperor of the East. Oh, dear. Well done, Theodosius II. A certificate for you. No one beats this. You are the youngest emperor. A year old. A year old. Wow. Arcadia is still alive at this point, though, so he's not, like, chief emperor. But he is declared Augustus, not Caesar. So he is he's emperor. Yeah. Wow. You must be junior emperor, though. Oh, yeah. That's his name. That's his name, <laughs> quite literally. So a year later, his parents had another child, another daughter. So he's got four sisters now, or maybe three. One of the sisters dies at some point early on. We don't know when. Now. Right now. Yeah, yeah. right now. Circle of life thing. Yeah. It's like, look, little Theodosius, you've got a new baby sister. Oh, your sister's died. Oh, when some, you lose some, yeah. said Arcadius. He was a bit heartless. And that's just as her head was severed from a body. Oh, dear. Loose tile. Oh, dear. <laughs> Tragic. Right, another year passes, and during this time, Alaric invades Italy oh. and is driven out by Stilicho. This, so, this is just foreplay. It? It's, it's, it's all, all going off in the West. It's all interesting. Yeah. In the East, where we're focusing today, yeah. Theodosius II being three and hundreds of miles away has no impact on this whatsoever. <laughs> Maybe just like looked at a fly for a bit and then pooed again. <laughs> Seem like two to the the guards that protect him, sort of whispering to each other. We gave him the note with all the information with the West on, but he's not reading it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's cut out for this. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but there was some personal sad news at this point. Oh, his mother Eudoxia has died. Oh, yes. A couple of years more pass in the East, and not much happens in the West. It's still all going off. Radagaius <laughs> is invading. He's defeated by Stilicho. Massive invasion across the Rhine. It's all just kicking off and then just cut to the east. as just... <laughs> like a seven-year-old emperor just sitting there picking his nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything happening? No, sire. Uh. Back to the west. Constantine III's usurped. He's come over from Britain. There's fighting going on. Oh, it's all going off. Back to the east. Theodosius is eating a pear. Okay. Until 408. Oh. Because then his father dies in a boring, natural way. <laughs> oh. So we have some terrible news, Theodosius. At last, something interesting is happening. Your father's died in a boring way. Uh, did he was this an assassin 
No, we don't even know why. Just... It's so boring. No one bothered to record exactly why he died <laughs> in the sources that we're going to pass on to the future. Like the guy doing the autopsy fell asleep halfway through. <laughs> it was that boring. <laughs> yes. Theodosius, as you rightly just said, is seven years old at this point. Oh, yes. And found himself sole emperor of the East. <laughs> this is a remarkably peaceful transfer of power. No one seemed to challenge anything. <laughs> Everyone's too bored. <laughs> shall, shall I try and take over? Come on. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> Full of sand and misery. <laughs> Has the emperor finished his pear yet? Give him an apple. <laughs> Spice it up a little bit and have a triumph for the apple. <laughs> that exciting, really boring triumph, though. Yeah, <laughs> grey flags, really sad old ladies carrying <laughs> baskets of apples up to the front. Yeah, it's just no music. <laughs> no, that would be too exciting. It, it's just not much is happening. Maybe we're being a bit mean here. It has only been 17, 17, just seven years of his life. It was seven years, seven years, a long time in politics. It's a long time in the West, Joe, at this point. We've had three episodes on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, but there is another reason why this is a peaceful transfer of power. Because, obviously, Theodosius II isn't in charge. And as we covered in Arcadius's episode, he wasn't really in charge either. There was another man in charge, who I briefly mentioned at the end of Arcadius's episode. There is no way you will remember him. <laughs> Without looking. No. His name is Anthemius. Oh, I remember the name. How do you? Anthe- yeah, some of the Anthemius. <laughs> he was the Praetorian Prefect. So he's really in charge. He's really in charge, and when Arcad- Arcadius dies, he stays really in charge. And he keeps everything smooth. Transfer of power, no problem. But who is this man, Anthemius? Praetorian Prefect. <laughs> yeah, yes, he is. Well, I've got the feeling that like most of the episodes be on him now. <laughs> well, no, actually, we do have a bit. Oh, okay. Um, but, but we'll see. He is oh, the right. power behind the throne to begin with, though. You're absolutely right. Just like Eutropius was and Stilicho was, Anthemius is, is the real power okay. in the East. He's a very well-respected man. Hmm. So a little bit of background on him. He rose through the ranks of political life in Constantinople, going through the ranks of Master of Offices and then up to Consul. He had effectively taken control after the death of Eudoxia. Okay. So, so as soon as Theodosius's mum died, he takes over, and he rules things in the last few years of Arcadius's life. Okay. So when Arcadius dies, it's nice and simple, Passover of power, Athemius still in charge. The reason no one argues with this, apart from the fact everyone's too bored to do so, <laughs> is that <laughs> Anthemius seems to have been remarkably good at his job. He's one of those guys that if he was the emperor, he would have been scoring highly, you feel. The first thing he did was contact the Persians, and he created a new peace treaty between the empires. Nice. Well, that's good. Then he noticed that the grain coming from Egypt was irregular, causing widespread food shortages at disturbingly regular intervals. So, quite often, not much food to go around best fix this he thought so he sat down and he just completely reorganized the way that the new capital collected its grain a new tax system was introduced a new system transportation set up for the grain new more reliable (laughs) ships created the grain was collected from other areas from the empire so egypt was not so depended upon etc 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 he just sat down one day and went you know what (laughs) let's let's sort this out yeah you know these carts pulling pulling the grain let's give them wheels yes no ships Let's make them afloat. Let's, yeah, let's make them out of wood. 
because this one's made of rock. That's not working. Yeah, you get the impression he maybe the plans were written on an etch a sketch, and he just went oh. in one day, shook the etch a sketch, and went, "We're starting again here." Yeah, piece yeah. of paper. <gasps> so everyone was quite happy. The capital was being fed, and the taxes were now fairer. This is good, and this is all under Theodosius too. So it kind of counts for him, but the, it's Artemius. <laughs> well, it's a point for him. So it was not long after becoming regent that news comes through that Stilicho was dead. This provides a huge opportunity to the East, however. If you remember, Stilicho, in order to win round Alaric's support, was threatening to invade the East. Just before he died, he was was about to come over. Therefore, tensions were currently high between the two halves of the Empire. So therefore, the East were able to use this to their advantage. It helped that the West were currently dealing with that big mass invasion that's just started. Mm-hmm. And the usurpation of Constantine III and Alaric starting to siege road, Rome. So all that's going off. So the East thinks, oh, we, we, can, we can do something here. So Anthemius is able to use this to his advantage. He sends out envoys to the West seeking reconciliation. There's even some evidence that he sent some troops over to help them deal with the, all the mess that was going on. Uh, but generally, Anthemius and Theodosius too were just happy to sit back and not get involved. Sounds great. Let, let the West deal with all of that mess that's going yeah, on. Th- this really, more than I think any of the time, highlights a split, doesn't it? Yes, this really is. If you were trying to ever prove that the Empire doesn't split, which some people do, this is the point where you really hit problems. Because it quite clearly is becoming two different political entities. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Almost different cultures as well. Yes, yeah, you do start seeing. Talk about religious already. The religious differences. So. Yeah, yeah, you definitely get different, different feel for each side of the empire. So Anthemius was busy rebuilding a fleet that protected the waters around Constantinople when troubling news came through. There were some Hunnic problems. Ooh, yes, the Huns Ooh. were invading. The sources were a bit sketchy here. This would have been around 409, just as Alaric was sieging Rome. And it would appear that the Romans in the east put down this small Hunnic invasion. But this is the last time the Huns would be dealt with quite so easily. Yeah. If you remember in Arcadius's episode, they were put down fairly easily. Yeah. And at the start of this one, they were put down relatively easily. Just put a pin in that. Back to Anthemius, though. So he, he's... Reorganised the grain, he's reorganised the taxes, he's rebuilt the fleet, he's now secured politically an alliance with the West again, and a peace process with Persia. But this is not what he's remembered for. He is remembered for something altogether different. Arguably one of the most important structures in all of Roman history. Physical or metaphorical? Physical. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. The Theodosian Walls. Ooh. They sound impressive. Oh, yes, they are. (laughs) Anthemius was a planner, and he had decided the city needed better defences. The walls that Constantine had built upon founding the city were now inside the city quite a bit, because the city had grown, (laughs) as cities do. So Anthemius figured, "Eh, it's time we build some new walls. So when we do get invaded, people don't have to cram into a small section of the city. It just makes sense. But Anthemius didn't do things by halves, and set out a plan for the best wall the world had ever seen. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes. To understand this wall, you need to understand the geography of Constantinople to okay. begin with. 
So I've got a map here, but Ooh. our listeners don't. So I'm going to try and describe it to you first, and then I'll show you the Okay. Map. So if you get your right hand and make a sort of backward C with your thumb and your forefinger. Yeah? You got that? Yeah. Good. Now imagine that your thumb and your finger are the C, and that bit in the middle is the land. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. The city, being built on this outcrop of land, can only be approached from the west. So in order to build a wall to defend the city, all you need to do is build one wall that covers the gap between the tips of your oh. forefinger and your thumb. Because the sea is on the east. Yes. yes. So you've got to defend that bit. Just that bit there. Yeah. So I you're could... almost making a capital D. D. Yes. Yeah. Right. I like it. That is the, the geography of Constantinople. So here's a map. Uh, we'll, we'll put this up Ooh, on Facebook. I like it. Yeah. So as you can see, it is just on a... What's that called? Um, an outcrop Out- of land? A, I guess so. A peninsula? A, uh, a sticky outbit? Yeah. <laughs> of land. Pokey bit. Pokey bit of land. And all the cities built here, so they just needed to build a wall down the left-hand side yeah. of the city. But look at the terrain, because you got a topographical map there, which is great. It's the two big, like, mountainous areas as well, so that could cause problems, maybe? It could. It could. So you got your valley in the middle with the river, because I can see there's a river there. Yeah. Um, they're not two steep hills okay. at the moment, though, um, as, as you'll find out. As hilly as Sheffield or as hilly as Coventry, do you think? Ooh, um, probably more similar to uh, Sheffield. Okay, ooh, yeah. it's quite hilly. It is quite hilly, but not insanely hilly. Oh, yeah, but you don't. You only only somebody who said that have never walked around Sheffield. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Walked up and down a hill. <laughs> I must admit, I've not walked around Sheffield myself. Yeah. No. Nice, should go. Yeah, I should. Right. These walls, yeah. I have no doubt in my mind, and I, bizarrely I've never heard this theory elsewhere, it must be somewhere, this is where Tolkien gets Minas Tirith from. Ooh, interesting. I'm I'm certain of it. Constantinople must be the basis of Minas Tirith. If you've not read or seen Lord of the Rings, this will have gone way over your head. But if you have, you'll be going, oh, um, maybe. <laughs> or just, yeah, obviously I always thought that as well. Because you, you mentioned Tolkien quite a few times, well, once, in the podcast, like he may have borrowed ideas from ancient Greece, uh, ancient Rome. Yeah, it might have been linked to Constantinople, actually. Um, but yeah, uh, the, they're impressive walls. Rather than describe them to you, we're going to go on a journey. Yes! An imaginary attack oh. of the walls. But use your imagination, it'll feel real. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right, you're a barbarian. Rawr. What's your name? Um, Erg Flack. Erg Flack. Yeah. Right. You're travelling to the city in an army. You're attacking. Uh, you're just a bog-standard warrior from the Flack family. <laughs> and and you're approaching the city. You've not attacked okay. yet. It's, get, it's getting to evening, so you're not going to attack today. Uh, Oof, no. And the first thing you notice is the height of these walls. These... Ooh, they're big. 12 metres tall. That's 40 ooh. foot. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> With 100 towers, roughly, that are 20 metres tall. That's 65 foot. That's what you're going to be attacking tomorrow morning. Um, but th- that's fine. The walls are tall. Whatever. Yeah, the just... Aurelian walls around Rome, if you remember we talked about those, they were actually taller in some places. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's that pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that... I guess you could break the wall down. Oh, uh, yeah. Do a, do a, exactly, a that's what walls you of Jericho on them. You'll, you'll be able to do something like that. But you do notice, just just as you're putting your tent up, 
Yeah, with a hammer, not a sword. You've heard about that. Yeah, you get stabbed. If you yeah. Um, so you're putting your tent up, and you keep looking over, and you think, there's a lot of stuff going on just in front of the walls, but you can't quite make it out at this distance. Oh. But uh, it'll be fine. Maybe it'll, it'll be fine. fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. We'll worry right. about it later. So you go to sleep with your comrades. Comrades? Is that what they're called? <laughs> comrades. Yeah. <laughs> <They're> just sleep. <laughs> well, they've come in from Russia. It makes sense. Anyway. <laughs> So you, you all go to sleep, and then you wake up in the morning. Your general tells you to line up and advance, so you do so. And let's just point out here, arrows are flying everywhere. Oh. They are not going to stop. So throughout all this, just imagine that arrows are just coming at you. So keep your time. shield up. Sort of. Keep your shield up. Right, okay. you ready to attack? Uh, yeah. Yeah, have you got a couple of friends? Yes, I've left my sword in the tent, though. Oh, that's a shame. That's not good. No. Oh, well, too late to go back and get that. Okay. Yeah. Right, do your friends have names? Uh, um, F- Flankbergen. Flankbergen. It's called Flank for sure. Flank. And um, Regovac. Regovac. Or, or Reg, we call him. Reg. <laughs> Flank and Reg. Yeah, Flank and Reginald, right. I'm Erg. I'm Erg. Yeah. You're Erg. Right, <laughs> okay. Are you ready to attack then? Here we go. First thing you need to do is run across the open fields that lead up to the walls. Oh, easy. It's just like a... Like a cross-country run. Yeah, nice nice little jog. It's like farmland, it's quite flat. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I mean, people are falling all around you because of all the arrow fire, oh, yeah. uh, which is a shame. <laughs> but nothing you've not dealt with before, and it's fine. You're, you're a tough barbarian. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, first thing you're heading for, you can see it, is this tiny little wall. It's not very big. It's only, like, as tall as you. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's just a small little simple wall. That's not a defence. No. So you run and you run, and amazingly, you and probably you both your friends make it. It's absolutely fine. No. In fact, you can even take some shelter from the arrow fire behind this wall. Oh, yeah, good so idea. The fools. Yes. What were they thinking? <laughs> this is excellent. Okay. So, first thing you need to do is get over this wall. How are you going to do that? Well, if I climb over, they'll hit me with arrows. Yeah, but... Uh, but you could join up with your friends, just put your shields over yeah, and sort okay, of scramble yeah. over. And it's not very tall, is it? So you and, what's yeah. his name, Reg. Reg, Reg can flank. give you a bunk up, can't he? Yeah. Yeah, so that's fine. But actually, uh, Flank goes first. He jumps over, and then you just hear a scream, and then a thud or a splash. We're not sure which. Oh. Because over that little wall is the moat. Uh-oh. Yes. And we're not entirely certain whether that this moat ever had water in it. It probably didn't, uh, but it's more interesting to say that it did. Uh, mm. So let's put some water in it. If it didn't, it's ten metres deep. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> it's, it's not... Big wooden spikes. Yeah, awesome. possibly. Yeah, it's, it's not easy to get over. Flank! Yeah, Flank's dead. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, Flank's gone. Anyway, uh, we're going to put some water in this. Just because okay. it will make it easier to he get across. He can't swim. He can't swim. He drowned. It's a shame. Anyway, you're now prepared, and you get out your rubber rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stupid arrows! <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't worry, I've got a spare. So yeah, you, you and Reg, you've got your rubber rings out. You get over this small wall. It's not right. a problem. You jump into the moat. You swim and swim and swim. The arrows are still raining down. Yeah. But but you get across, so it's fine. Water's awfully red at the moment. <laughs> yes, it is. But just keep swimming. It tastes quite tinny. Yeah, you're not afraid of a bit of water. It's all okay. No, but yeah. take, every time I get a bit in my mouth, it's like I'm chewing on coins or something. <laughs> yeah. a bit coppery. That's weird. You get to the other side um, of the moat, and um, 
it's sort of a nice like slope like you know when you go to castles in this country and the moats are just like a dip and you yeah no the other side of this is a wall and that wall is three meters high and you're in the water okay yeah it's taller than the ceiling in this room yeah and you're just treading water oh. and uh yeah it's a bit tricky but I, I, who knows how you do this maybe you've got like some climbing equipment with your suction cups. Suction cups. <laughs> okay. So you get up that wall. You get over the top. The arrows are all coming at you again because uh, you're now fully in view of all the towers. <laughs> in front of you is 20 meters of open field with no cover. It's at this point, you realise you haven't even reached the walls yet. Uh, oh. <laughs> um. At the end of this field is a nine meter wall with archers on top of the battlements. Okay. You're quite lucky because you and what's his name, Reg? Reg, Reg is alive, yeah. and you've both come out between two of the towers, so it's less likely that you're going to be immediately shot. Okay. But somehow, don't ask me how, some ladders have managed to get across the moat at this point. Maybe they're ones you can like take apart and reassemble. Yes, like IKEA ladders. Yes. Yes. <laughs> screw, screw in the rungs. <laughs> there with your Alan key. <laughs> Yeah, checking the instructions. Oh, I'm missing two of the pegs. Where's the customer helpline? <laughs> so you get your ladder together and you charge across this 20 metres of open field. Somehow you don't get shot, nor does Reg. You're doing well. You manage to prop your ladder up against this 9 metre wall and you start scaling. Reg, you know what Reg is like. Oh, Reg. Always looking for the glory. He goes up first. Yeah. Obviously, he gets smashed in the face with something, oh. and he's dead. He falls oh, past no, you. Oh, Reg. Reg is dead. But that's distracted the guy at the top of the wall, and you're able to like, poke him in the eye a bit with your sword. Yes. You're on top I've of the wall. I've got my sword. Oh, no, it's you're... a stick. I found in the field. Fair enough. <laughs> so you manage to get on top of the wall. Okay. All the ladders are going up beside you. You're making some inroads here. Right. You're finally on top of the wall. And then you look around. To the left and the right of you on the wall you're on are still those towers firing arrows at you. Oh, yeah. And at that point, you look in front of you. Oh. And this is when it gets a bit depressing. <laughs> because this is when you realise the wall that you've just climbed is not actually the main wall. Oh. No. Because in front of you is another 20-metre empty gap. And then a 20-metre-tall tower full of people firing arrows at you. The wall that that tower sits on is 12 metres high and is covered in troops and is incredibly thick. Not that you can tell that from your angle at this point, but there's no way you can smash that wall down. It's it's more like a building than a wall. I've still got my little hammer, my rock hammer. So it's at this point when you realise that it's almost impossible to go on or indeed impossible to go back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that an arrow comes out of nowhere. And you're shot in the face. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a bit sad. Yeah. These were impressive walls. That's good planning. Very good planning. To give you an idea, and we'll put these up, here are some pictures for you just so you can see how ridiculous these walls were. Oh, my goodness. So there's a picture of what they look like now. That's impressive. Yeah. They, they've, they've gone for the good designs. Well, like lots of different coloured motifs. Looks impressive. Yeah, it looks nice, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that small one at the front, that's where you go into the moat, and then you'd have to go over the second wall and then over the third wall. And there are towers and all the bits. These were seriously good walls. They had very good walls. Yeah. So there you go, they're the Theodosian walls. Very impressive. Yeah. That's what's keeping Constantinople safe. They must have taken ages to build. 
we'll get on to that. Oh. Yeah, we will. Uh, but for now, all we need to know is that shortly after the completion of these walls, Anthemius disappears from the records. <laughs> oh dear. We don't know what happened to him. He probably died. Maybe of natural causes. Which is a shame, because he seemed quite good, didn't he? Yeah. Okay, so now we go on to the next section in my notes, titled Pulcheria. Pulcheria. If you remember, that is his sister. Yes. Yes. Um, Activia. Alia. Alia. Yeah. Activia, that's a yogurt. <laughs> yes, it is. So, Constantinople has lost a very capable leader. Theodosius II at this point is still only 13. <laughs> what happens next is quite interesting and shows, like I hinted at earlier, that the East and the West are starting to differ somewhat. Rather than another Praetorian prefect or high-up eunuch like before, or like in the West, another general, the power vacuum is filled with Theodosius's sister, who was only 16. Oh, really? Yeah, which is really interesting. How she managed to do this, I have no idea. But she does. Pulcheria effectively becomes regent at this point. It's been ages since we've seen a woman manage to actually gain any power, hasn't it? Yeah, I guess Arcadius's wife a little bit. Since we've seen true real powers, the Severan de- dynasty in yeah. my mind. Yeah. But as you pointed out, it's Pulcheria's mother, Eudoxia, who seems to have put in the groundwork here. So it's seen as acceptable for a woman to have power in the East. Whereas in the West, they're still very, very traditional. They don't have women in the West. No, no. It's just men and bears. <laughs> Beers and football. That's <laughs> yes. all it is. However, if it was Eudoxia who uh, paved the way for Pulcheria to get power, this does not mean the two were very similar at all. Pulcheria is said to have been very serious and very stern, and with the same character of her grandfather, the original Theodosius. Okay. So the first thing that Pulcheria did was take a vow of chastity. This meant that she could not be married off and lose her power. So no one's going to get married to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. So yeah. <laughs> it won't be a man come along and start ordering her about. It's power, power maneuver. Yeah, exactly. Then she sets about rearranging the court. Anyone she thought was a danger or a bad influence on her brother, she removed. The imperial palace became more serious, more pious. And Theodosius too spends his time studying. And this continued for a few years. At some point, Theodosius took full power off Pulcheria, and she stopped being regent, but still held a lot of influence. A couple more years pass, and news comes through from the West. Constantius III, Honorius's general, had taken out Constantine III, Atulf, and all those other people who were causing a fuss. He's like Arnie in Predator, isn't he? Yes, he is. <laughs> Do you think he was smearing himself in mud so Constantine couldn't see him? <laughs> yes! <laughs> So this is all very good, but then other news comes through. Uncle Honorius, remember Honorius is Theodosius's uncle. <laughs> yeah. So Uncle Honorius was going to make Constantius III co-emperor. Now, if you remember Constantius's episode, Theodosius and Pulcheria did not like the sound of this. What? Who was this man? He wasn't a Theodosian. Yeah. Constantius III was married to Auntie Galla Placidia, if you remember. Yes. And now they had a child, Valentinian III, <laughs> which is a name that boded well. Uh, but this was not enough of a link for Theodosius and Pulcheria, so they did not recognise Constantius's claim to be the emperor. And this did not please Constantius, who saw these two as young upstarts who had never really had to do any real ruling. That's too fair. Yeah, if you compare what Theodosius and Pulcheria have done so far to Constantius' episode, you can kind of see his point. Yeah. So Constantius sets about the invasion of the East. 
but then died. Oh, so disappointingly. But probably to the massive release, relief of Theodosius and Pulcheria. Perhaps this near miss is what got Pulcheria thinking, because she started looking for a bride for her brother. Ooh. That starts securing the future, she thinks. So, cut over to Athens. Dun. Good cutting noise. A celebrated philosopher had just died and left a will to his children. However, his sons and his daughter disagreed with the will and headed to Constantinople to appeal to the higher courts. Now, apparently, the intelligence and beauty of the daughter was so great that Pulcheria noticed her and soon was setting up a wedding between this woman and her brother. Did she know? Oh, yeah, no, apparently she was quite happy to do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, could you come with me? I've just got something in the room to see. <laughs> Would you like some cake? Oh, yes, I will have some. <laughs> you said I will! <laughs> Sneaky binding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> According to some sources, this is all Porcheria's doing. Um, some suggest that it was... Theodosius just wanted to get married to someone attractive and she was the most attractive person that they could find. So who knows? But what we do know is that they did get married. She changes her name to Eudocia because she wasn't a Christian. She was a filthy pagan. Yeah, I know. Uh, But she converts to Christianity, changes her name to Eudocia and the two are wed. So Theodosius now has a wife. That's lovely. Soon after the wedding, or perhaps just before, but around this time, a couple of refugees arrive in Constantinople. Now, if you remember Honorius's episode all that time ago, and yes, Honorius is still alive. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> he lasted a long time. Under Approbium Crasium, we discussed the possibility that Honorius wanted to get to know his sister. Oh, yeah. Gala Placidia. Ah. So she flees so to Constantinople. Ref- so he's a refugee. <laughs> So, the refugees are Gala Placidia and her two children. Hello, auntie. Yes. With little Valentinian, future oh. emperor, and daughter, Honoria. Honoria. Oh. Honoria comes into it later. What a horrible name. <laughs> Next week, she does something ridiculous. <laughs> so, remember her. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not long after this that news follows. Honorius, who had ruled for a stupid amount of time, was finally dead. A senator named Joanus, or Joanus, or John, depending <laughs> on John. which source. I'm going to go for John. Joanus. Yeah. It's a Joanus or Joanus, depending on how you pronounce it. Joanus. <laughs> Joanus. <laughs> Maybe it should be Joanus. Uh, but on the poster up there, it's it's Joanus. That poster? Yeah. But he's... we're not covering him. I think he's a usurper. I don't... Oh, okay. I... As you'll see reasons why. Uh, He's also called John. Let's just call him John. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Emperor John. John had claimed the purple. Ah, there we go. Yes. Theodosius too and Pulcheria had to decide what to do. If they supported the rise of John, they saw that they would lose power in the West very quickly. However, they had in their possession the rightful heir, the nephew of Honorius, Valentinian. So negotiations soon took place between Theodosius, Pulcheria and Gallus Placidia. Constantinople, through their support behind Little Valentinian. Once Little Valentinian was on the throne, some land would be handed over to them. Constantius III was then posthumously accepted as emperor. <laughs> so that's like, oh, fine, he can be emperor now. He's dead. <laughs> I always hate those kind of posthumous awards. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it really is. They don't care. <laughs> no. So it was agreed 
And to further this pact, it was decided that little Valentinian would marry Theodosius's newly born daughter. Ooh, that's wrong. Not right now, though. Uh, okay. Just, just in the future. Shortly after that, some envoys arrive from John in the West, saying, uh, John's emperor now. Is that all right with you guys? <laughs> Theodosius exiles them. Ah. And did not send an answer, which in a way is an answer. It is, yeah. He then raises an army and sends them west. Gala Placidia and little Valentinian go with the army. And we'll go into that more next week because it more concerns the rise of Valentinian rather than Theodosius. But all you need to know is that John loses quite quickly. Valentinian III is placed on the western throne with Gala Placidia ruling as regent. Okay, and Val III is now emperor. Yes. Of the West. The Theodosian dynasty is secure once more. Two young Theodosians are on both thrones, with capable extended family around them. Things are looking good for the Theodosian dynasty, yeah? So I would normally say, yeah, it's really stable. However, you know what happens when you get two siblings or two family members <laughs> on opposing sides? Ah, interestingly, that doesn't happen in this case. Oh, okay. But you are right for doubting that things are <laughs> secure as they might seem. Yeah. Because these are the last two Theodosians. Okay. <laughs> so things go wrong. <laughs> because, what's this? Cut to a forest somewhere. <gasps> there's lots of tents. Ooh. And there's lots of warriors wandering around, packing up. They're Hunnic warriors. Ooh. Two brothers in this group are complaining about how they think things should be run. One of the brothers, a man named Bleeder, or Bleder, oh, yeah, turns name. to his brother and asks his brother, Brother... Could you reveal your name in a dramatic way? And the other brother, <laughs> used to this kind of request. Fine. Fine, one more time. Draws breath and replies, Attila the Hun. Everyone around him like, who? It'll be big one day, guys. It'll be big. Yeah. And then they all, like, go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, though. Ooh, yeah. I've heard of him. You've heard of him, yes. hemophiliac brother. <laughs> yes. Attila the Hun, arguably the most famous Roman enemy ever. Yeah, he's, he's, everyone's, everyone's heard the name of Attila the Hun. Yes. No one's heard of Theodosius three, Or two. Two. Really, <laughs> <we're> <laughs> yes. Attila the Hun is the big name here. Yeah. And we're, we're not quite there yet with Attila the Hun. But he's around. I'm just, just dropping it in there that he's starting to be there. And he will be there soon. But beforehand, let's do a quick history on the Huns so we know a bit more about them. Because we've been talking about the Huns for a while now, haven't we? But not really yes. gone into any detail. So, quick history on them. The Romans first became aware of the Huns during Valens episode. Yes. Which is how historians now describe that period of time. <laughs> uh, when a group of Goths came looking for asylum, if you remember. Yes. They were down in Antioch, if I remember correctly, and a group of Goths so, uh... turned up from nowhere and went... Help. <laughs> there are people moscowing us. Yeah. They're picking on us. The Goths, Goths were a bit scared and they wanted to come across the Danube and live in the safe Roman Empire. And this is the crossing that led eventually to the disaster in Adrian Overfall. All the blood. Yes. Obviously, the Huns have been around for a long time before that, but we don't know exactly where they come from. A widely accepted theory is that they came from the Mongolian region, or even from North China originally. But it would have been hundreds of years previously. They were nomadic tribes, and they wandered slowly but steadily west. And once they hit Europe, 
They quickly realised that they were far better fighters than anyone else. They also had incredible bows. Their bows were just really good. I've just got an image now of an army wearing little does in their hair, little yeah, pink bows. Really nice pink bows. It distracted everyone. And jo- then you were able to stab them. Jojo bows. <laughs> yes. So realising that their weapons were superior and they were fiercer fighters, the Huns stopped just wandering around grazing their animals and soon start smashing the tribes <laughs> in northern Europe. Oh, you would, wouldn't you? They take out the Alans with no problem at all and then take on the Goths, forcing them to flee to the Empire. Large groups of them then headed south and offered their services to this large empire that everyone was talking about. They soon realised that this was a good way of making money, and we see lots of Hunnic mercenaries for a while, like in Constantius' episode, where we think he might have picked up some Hunnic yeah. mercenaries. However, it's not long before the Huns start eyeing up the empire a bit more. <laughs> so exactly how tough were these Romans? That's a lovely city you have there. Shame if somebody sacked it. Yeah, it's like... Ooh. They're big, but all these tribes... We've cut through them like hot knife through butter. That's one a real challenge. Yeah, that's, surely we could take on the Empire. In the late 390s, a small group just try their luck under Arcadius's rule. Now, if you remember, as I mentioned earlier, this is where Eutropius, the eunuch, managed to push the Huns back. Yeah. This was seen as a good victory by the Romans, but to be honest, it was probably just the Huns testing the waters. <laughs> now, perhaps Eutropius managed to impress them. Because it then seems that the Huns then backed out of Europe for a while, skirted around the Roman Empire, and headed east and then south into the Persian Empire. And then spent a few years just ripping apart the Persians, managing to get all the way to Tessaphon. (laughs) Poor people of Tessaphon. It's like the Romans have finally left us alone for a while. Peace and quiet. What's that horn sound? (laughs) Who are those guys? <laughs> they look scary. <laughs> However, they didn't quite manage to get Tessaphon. The Persians managed to counterattack and push the Huns back north. But the Huns did well from this. Yeah. So, let's leave the Persians alone for a while, they thought. Let's go back and try the Romans. So the Huns head back into Europe again. They test the waters. And this again was a small attack. The one I mentioned earlier, that Anthemius managed to push. Yes. Yeah. And again, the Romans thought, yay, we dealt with the Huns. But again, it was probably just the Huns testing the waters again. By this time, a man named Uldin was in charge of at least a large portion of the Huns. Maybe not all of them, we're not really sure. He attacked over the Danube, sending subordinates to take key Rome fortifications. However, Theodosius was able to sort this out fairly easily. We're catching up now, this is now in Theodosius' yeah, okay. rule. Because Theodosius sent men out and he bribed Uldin's subordinates to retreat. This did two things. Not only did it stop the attack, but it also caused discord amongst the Huns. I guess they want to kill the ones that were bribed and the bribed ones. Exactly. Yeah, it was a really good counter-attack because it caused disunity amongst the Huns and pushed them back. And it kept them at bay for a few years. So that's a very brief history of the Huns, just to catch you up to modern times. So, just to... Quick recap then, Valentinian III is on the throne in the west, yep. Theodosius II is now getting used to ruling the east, and is doing alright for himself. Yeah. So let's, let's look back at home, shall we? How's he doing? Theodosius II and Eudocia have two more children, oh. but both died. Oh. Yeah, that's a shame. Theodosius II then spends some time on his pet project. The walls? No, the walls are already built. He decides to found a university. Ooh. Yeah. That's quite nice. Very impressively. This is 
the first university that we really know of in the Roman Empire, hmm? and it's the one that's pretty much still there today. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is when it's founded. They still teach the same things. Yeah, exactly the same curriculum. Excellent. Yeah. Very conservative. <laughs> yes. But he also starts, once he's built his university, on something that he's even more famous for. And that is the Theodosian Code. Oh. <laughs> Why? What did you think it was? Do you have some sort of books? That might be the code. Yeah, you might be thinking of the code okay. here. Because Theodosius too, looking at the courts and all the laws in the empire, realised that everything was a bit of a mess. The lawyers at the time used precedents and edicts to enforce the law. Yeah. However, none of these were written down anywhere. <laughs> or if they were, they were scattered about all over the place. I just think there's one poor guy trying to remember them all. Well, yeah, exactly. Lawyers had to remember all this stuff. It was really tricky to do. But easy to manipulate as well. Exactly. Also very easy to manipulate. Because lawyers were using past cases and laws created hundreds of years ago to support their own case. To the point where no one really knew Hmm. what was real or what wasn't. And it got to the point where people feared that lawyers could just be making things up. (laughs) As Emperor Smith said... 2,000 years ago, all donkeys should be painted blue. Therefore, he's... Guilty. <laughs> Not sure what that case was. Well, he's guilty, whatever he's it was. He's definitely guilty. <laughs> yeah, it, it all got a bit messy. This guy that painted his donkey red. Exactly. That's why. Yeah. Once. So Theodosius orders that all laws passed since Constantine the Great be collated and written down in one place. Yeah. This was a massive undertaking, and it took scholars in his new university ten years to put together. But when it was, it was a huge help to the running of the empire, and was released to much ceremony under Theodosius and Valentinian. He let Valentinian share in some of the glory of it That's as well. That's nice. Which is nice. And yeah, it was seen as a huge achievement. It wasn't perfect, because it simply was a collection of all the laws, and did nothing to deal with any possible contradictions. <laughs> No, it just, it's made things concrete. Yeah, it, it was just a central place where everything was. But if two emperors ever issued edicts that contradicted each other, they were both there. Ah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> which isn't hugely helpful. We'll sort that out later on, it's fine. Well, that, yes, that's what they thought, because they did. In a hundred years' time, this leads to Justinian's Code, which we're talking oh. about in Justinian's episode. But he, uh, he gets a lot of credit for that, but he wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for this first one. Ah. So it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than what they had before. Yeah. Now, it was during all of this promotion of learning and law that a group of Huns approached Constantinople. <laughs> we want legal counsel. <laughs> <laughs> and this really is where the story goes from Theodosius seems to be doing all right yeah. to, oh dear... Oh, good. This is the we've gone past the uh, the ark, top of the ark. Now we're on our way down. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> the Huns had a simple request. If the empire paid a mere three hundred and fifty pounds of gold a year, the Huns would not invade. Theodosius thinks about this. Three hundred and fifty pounds was a lot, but it was nothing compared to the price of actually going to war. This, yeah. Plus, he's busy. He's making his universities. He's creating his laws. Whatever. He pays off the Huns. Off you go. Let's not worry about this anymore. Problem solved. Problem solved. Brilliant. Again, Theodosius wasn't an idiot. 
because he then sends out messages along the Danube telling everyone, reinforce your fortifications, <laughs> because this probably isn't going to be a long-term solution. And it wasn't. Yeah. But before we go into why, let's have a quick back look into his home life here. Things were not going well for Theodosius at home. <gasps> no, he suspected his wife of having an affair. No! Yeah. One day he gave his wife a large apple. That's not a euphemism, apparently. <laughs> Later that day, a man named Paulinus came to the emperor and gave the emperor the large apple as a gift. Theodosius was confused and asked his wife, what, what did you do with that apple I gave you earlier? As she claimed she had eaten it, Theodosius was outraged and accused her of giving it to Paulinus, which he denied. But when Paulinus was questioned, and I mean questioned, oh. <laughs> he admitted that yes, they were indeed having an affair. Oh he was executed. No. She was exiled. Okay. Yes, that's a shame. Sure is. When you're being tortured, though, you'd admit to anything, wouldn't you? Oh, that's true. That's why it's unreliable. Yes, very unreliable. Okay. So things not going too well there. Elsewhere in the empire, also things are all going wrong, as we will cover next week in the West. The Vandals. If you remember, we last saw the Vandals in Spain. Yeah. Half of them got wiped out by Constantius yeah, and the Goths. The other half was still there. And that half decided, border Spain now, let's go to Africa. <laughs> and they do so. And they take it over. And then Sicily. And then control all the fleets. Mediterranean's going. Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. We'll cover that more next week. But that's what's happening over in the West. Empire getting smaller then. <laughs> so, Yeah. Not looking good. Theodosius, realising that this is a problem, decides to send some troops over to the west to help his cousin out, which is nice. So Theodosius waves off all his troops in the boats, Bye. probably thinking to himself, I really hope I don't need those troops anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Cut to that forest again, where all the Huns are. They're all standing around, because Rua, the king of the Huns, has died. Aww. And he has left his empire to his two nephews, Bleeder, or Bleder, or Buda. I think Bleeder. Budapest, named after him, possibly. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's mm. interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to call him Bleeder. Yeah. <laughs> Bleeder and Attila <gasps> are now in charge of the Huns. Oh. This change of regime changes the future interactions between the Romans and the Huns dramatically. Before the Huns were prepared to make some money from the Romans, either through mercenary work or just simple extortion. Attila and Bleeder were not content with this. They thought they could get a lot more from the Romans. A lot more. Oh. First of all, shortly after taking charge, the brothers met with envoys from Rome in a city called Margos, in the Danube area. The Huns refused to get off their horses to speak. So the meeting was conducted <laughs> on horseback. <laughs> Would you just get off your high horse? That's where the phrase came from. I'd like to think the meeting was still taking place in a tent, though. They <laughs> <laughs> all cramped in with their horses. Yes. <laughs> so Attila and Bleeder informed the Romans that that £350 a year... Oh, sorry, it was a mistake. We meant to say 700. Other conditions were given linked to trade and prisoner exchanges, etc. But ultimately, the Romans realised 700's a lot. But still cheaper than going to war. Yeah, we could probably do that. We probably should pay this off, especially since pretty much all our troops are in the West helping Valentinian. Yeah. So they have no choice. Even if they weren't happy with it, they've got to pay up here they, because their troops aren't there. Yeah. Yeah. 
However, the negotiations seem to be a bit of a pretext for the Hunnick brothers, because within months, Hunnick merchants who came to the city suddenly drew their swords and attacked. Oh, that's mean. Yeah, this wasn't a full-on attack. This was a sneaky go into the city, take the city unawares. They kill all the guards in the city and murder all the merchants they can see. The city sacked. Which city? Magas. The city they were negotiating. Yeah. So the Romans send an angry message to the Huns, pointing out that they had violated their agreement. We're paying you the 700. You said you wouldn't attack and you attacked. The Huns claim that the Romans were the ones that had violated the agreement first. Because apparently the bishop of Magus had snuck over the Danube, worked his way into the Hunnic land, broken into their royal tombs, and stolen from them like a treasure hunter. Oh, yes. Like Indiana Jones style. Yes, just like Indiana Jones. Oh, fantastic. So he was a bishop, Indiana Jones. So this old 84-year-old bishop. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Got a bit dicey for a while, but he hid in the fridge, so that's fine. <laughs> oh, that's such a bad film. <laughs> we all know that if you hide in a fridge... That's true. Then the Huns can't kill you. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Anyway, so the Huns say this is why they attacked. We don't know whether there's any truth in that whatsoever. Probably not. No. But maybe. <laughs> let's say there is because it's a good story. It's, it's true. true. Okay, so, yeah, fair enough. Let's say Indiana Bishop did that. <laughs> so the Huns demand that the Bishop be handed over to them, plus a list of Hunnic refugees who had fled to Constantinople after Attila and Bleda had taken over. These are probably members of Attila's family who were fleeing from Attila. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds nice. Yeah. So Theodosius had enough by this point. It's like, yeah, the 350 was fine, the 700 was pushing it, but you know what? I'm not being pushed around by these barbarians anymore. And he refused. After all, what's the worst that the Huns could do? It's not like they're going to sack Rome or anything. Well, it'll be fine. That's over in the West. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's face it. From Theodosius's point of view, the Huns have been beaten back twice in mm. relatively recent memory. That's true. And even if they did break through into the Danube region, the Danube area had had a group of Goths running around it for decades. And those Goths could never do anything more than burn a few farms. The cities were always safe. Attila and Bleeder didn't issue empty threats, and when they heard of the refusal, they invaded the Danube. And the Romans did what they were used to. They withdrew behind their walls, and they waited for the storm to pass. <laughs> Best thing to do. Yes. However, news soon comes through that when Attila reached the first city, he took it. He breached the walls, and he sacked it. And then when he reached the second city, he did the same. And then when he reached the military stronghold at Vimachium, he breached that too and sacked it. Oh. Panic starts to spread. The Danube had been a hotbed of violence for hundreds of years by this point, but the one thing that Romans were always able to do was hide behind their walls. Yeah, they're damn good walls. It was dawning on them that their walls were not good enough to stop Attila. No one really knew why, but Attila could actually get into the cities. Maybe he's a ghost. Maybe he's a ghost. <laughs> now, we don't know why he was so good at taking the cities compared to the Goths and the Alans and all the other groups that had tried to do this before and failed. 
Perhaps they'd learnt recently from when they were mercenaries with the Romans, maybe. Uh, There's like, some suggestion that this is ancient knowledge they had from back when they were over near China when they were taking cities there. That seems less likely, when since that would have been the right art of war. Oh, way, way before. Ah, <laughs> yeah, so we don't know why, but we do know that they were very capable of building siege engines and battering rams, and they were able to take the Roman cities. Maybe like in Lord of the Rings when they took Minas Tirith, not Minas Tirith, um, Helm's Deep. Yes. Does some sort of explosive device. <laughs> Maybe they did, yeah. By this point, Attila was getting close to that city of Margus with Indiana Bishop in it. And the <laughs> bishop panics and writes to Attila, offering the city to them if they dropped the charges against him. What a horrible bishop. <laughs> He's not very Christian, is he? <laughs> He's very not... The brothers accept this straight away and add another city to their conquests. Check. <laughs> the Huns then decide to ne- take the next city along the path to Constantinople, Nasus. And we actually have a quote here. Okay. Because we do have a historian who actually covers this period. This is Priscus who tells us this. When a large number of Hunnic siege engines had been brought up to the walls, the defenders on the battlements gave in because of the clouds of missiles. The rams were brought up also. This is a very large machine. A beam is suspended by chains from timbers, which incline together, and it is provided with a sharp metal point and screens for the safety of those working on it. With short ropes attached to the rear, men vigorously swing the beam away from the target and then release. From the walls, defenders tumbled down the wagon-sized boulders. Some rams they crushed altogether with the men working on them. But they could not hold out against the number of machines. And then the enemy brought up scaling ladders. The barbarians entered through parts of the wall broken by the rams and also over the ladders. The city was taken. This is the first time I've really heard about machines being used. Although they probably happened in the past in... in... They, oh, it must have happened. By the Romans, yes. Yes. <laughs> Romans used to do this kind but of stuff. This sounds very organised and very... Yeah, this is not... Destructive. This idea of barbarians, just lots of hairy men running around random. No, this is an organised Hunnic army. Running around with and hairy men. Attila knows what he's doing. He definitely does. Yes. Some historians, I should say, doubt whether this is an accurate description. But all agree that the city was definitely taken. The road to Constantinople was then open. Theodosius didn't have time to get his army back. Now, he suspected that the might of the Theodosian walls would keep the Huns out, but they'd never been tested before, and Attila seemed to be invincible at this point. So Theodosius sends out envoys and talks peace. Attila pointed out that that £700 of gold was a mistake. What they meant to say, obviously, (laughs) was £1,400 of gold a year. And we'll have those Hunnic refugees we asked for before. Thank you very much. The money and the men were passed over, and the Huns went home. The end. (laughs) However, soon after, Theodosius' army returned, and the Romans started spending all they could on building up their security. I don't blame them. Theodosius sent out an edict requiring all the dukeses in the area to raise their troops to, and I quote, the ancient number. So, back in the day when we were good, let's get that many. (laughs) And also to start training. Forts were to be extended. The river patrols needed to start up again. New recruits were brought in from elsewhere from the empire. Mercenaries were purchased. Essentially, there was an empire-wide 80s montage started that lasted for five years of training. Nice. Yes. 
so Jeff at the beginning you know, can barely pick up a bag of sand. At yeah. the end, he's got dumbbells and yeah. not cannons. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have cannons, but Jeff so, has never been so ripped. Oh, he is. Yeah, he is hench. He is ready. Yeah, <laughs> they seriously spent five years pouring all their money, energy, and effort. We are going to be able to take on the Huns. Last time they'd caught us by surprise. Our army was away. What do you expect? But they are not coming in again. So do you think that was defense? Well, I'm sure I'll find out. Is it defensive or is it kind of we're going to go after them sort of thing? It was a defensive manoeuvre at this okay. point. Well, who knows? Maybe the idea was to be offensive at some point, but that, that may have happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So the other thing Theodosius does at this point is stop paying the Huns their money. Oh, that's just poking the bear, isn't it? It is poking the bear. But as I say, the Romans are feeling quite confident here. I mean, look, look how tough Jeff is. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's wow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the only way you can describe it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all bronze and no brain, but well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, even Roger's doing a little bit of light cardio at the weekends. Oh, I say that he's always doing cardio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, might have been poking the bear, but the bear was unable to respond straight away because they were dealing with internal problems. Ooh. The internal problems were Attila had killed his brother. <laughs> oh, bleeder. Yeah. He probably just poked him on the stick or something. <laughs> yes. We don't know at all any more than the fact that Attila killed him. One-on-one rage? Who knows? Political intrigue? Who knows? But at the end of the day, he's dead. He's dead, yeah. Okay. And because Attila's dealing with that internal problem, it gives Theodosius even more time to build up his troops. Maybe a second montage. Oh, danger zone. <laughs> and then... At the start of 447, Attila sent an envoy to Constantinople, pointing out that the Romans now owed £6,000 of gold. So if you could pay that up, that would be splendid, said the envoy. Theodosius replied they were willing to talk terms, but did not offer the money. <laughs> Diplomatic talk for come and get it if you think you're hard enough. <clears throat> oh dear. The showdown is about to begin. Dun 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 dun. The envoys left angry. War was on. They would be back with their armies, they promised. <laughs> the said, it's on. <laughs> envoys walking away with the shoulder. It's on, bro. It's on. Yeah, it's on. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Theodosius probably stood at his window at this point, looking <laughs> out across Constantinople, his capital city. They were prepared. They were ready. They had trained for years. And even if the very worst happened, and Attila made it all the way to Constantinople, he would never beat the might of the Theodosian walls. Definitely not. It was just then, I'd like to think as he was staring out the windows with pride, that the Theodosian walls fell down. Uh, (laughs) What? (laughs) Honestly, yeah. Just collapsed. (laughs) On the 27th of January, 447, an earthquake hit the city with such force that large sections of the walls were laid to waste. Oh, no. Attila was on his way. Oh. And the city had just lost their only defence. Oh, no. That's awful timing. (laughs) Awful, awful timing. Even if he just waited a few more months to send that letter back. (laughs) Yeah. So... I imagine the entire city did a collective poo. And then the Praetorian prefect, a man named Constantinus, started to organise all able-bodied people in the city. It was a race. Could they rebuild before Attila reached the city? 
But still, it might be fine. I'm sure they all said to each other nervously. Yeah. <laughs> because they've been preparing for this invasion for half a decade. Hitler probably wouldn't even be able to get to Constantinople. True. They were ready for this. They've been training the army. Yeah. They fortified all their other cities and outposts. It's going to be fine. I'm sure it will. This is when Roger arrives. Hello, sir. <laughs> Scrambling over the rubble of the walls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, it's very easy to get over now, sir. <laughs> Fosha, how did you get in? Just through that gaping hole over there, sir. Lottie's in the old way. <laughs> Roger passes over his letter. Attila had reached the first city in his path. He had taken it as easily as he had five years previously. Okay. Build faster, <laughs> everyone starts to say. Get more rock. <laughs> but it's fine. Theodosius sets out the first part of his backup plan. He sends a large portion of his army to take on the Huns. Oh, yes. Shortly after, Roger arrives. Hello, sir. Doing a bit of building, I see. <laughs> yes, it's almost knee-high. <laughs> Twist <of> my ankle. <laughs> anyway, he passes over his letter. The Roman army had managed to secure the passes down to the Thracian plains. That's good. It started. <laughs> oh. Theodosius reads on. But once Attila arrived, he managed to utterly overwhelm the Roman troops. They were all dead. Uh, oh. Build faster. <laughs> Keep building. So we've run out of rock. Use people if you have to. <laughs> Put chairs up, anything. Masking tape, come on. Attila was drawing closer. When he finally arrives at the city, he saw the might of the Theodosian walls before him. <laughs> they managed to do it. They actually managed to do it. Do you think actually they just built certain sections in like a big piece of cardboard painted? Hold it steady, Jeff! Jeff, really pleased he'd built up those muscles. That was a big piece of cardboard oh, yeah, he's yeah. holding up. Unfortunately, that's where, where he um, suffered a heart attack through steroid <laughs> use. <laughs> and the big section would falls forward slowly. Straight in his hands. Oh dear. That's, that's a shame. <laughs> yes, it is. Jeff's dead. Uh, but no, they did actually manage to rebuild the walls. Oh, that's good. Amazingly, within two months of the earthquake, the city had rebuilt the walls. A feat that many historians since have marvelled at. I think just the the, the desperation involved. Yeah, the like, shit. Do it! <laughs> Do it now. So, Theodosius's generals had decided not to hide behind the walls, however. It was time to put an end to Attila once and for all. Good to see the end of him. They meet Attila outside the city. Hello. Attila utterly destroys them. Oh. There was no longer an army that could stop the Huns. Now Attila looks at Constantinople, and this is credit to those walls. He realises that even for him, that is too much to take. So he splits his forces and he takes his anger out on any other city he could possibly find. We don't have solid records here, but roughly a hundred cities in the Thracian, Greek and Asian areas around the capital are sacked. Wow. Many of these towns and cities were so destroyed they were never rebuilt. Theodosius could do nothing but sue for peace. Attila agreed and pointed out that that £1,400 he mentioned earlier, he misspoke, obviously. <laughs> It was actually £2,100. Remember, that started as 350 <laughs> Plus all those prisoners of war that we've captured, you need to buy them back. Oh, man. Yeah. 
The Huns went home and the Romans started to rebuild. This 2,100 pounds of gold was so high that Theodosius was forced to tax even the rich senators. What? what, what? <laughs> yeah, you no. can't tax me! Tax all the people with no money! Far, far more efficient. Yes! <laughs> so, things not going well. Mm. Now, last section for today. Theodosius is going to die soon. Aww. Spoiler alert. But, before he does so, we have a bizarrely detailed story. Ooh, I like stories. About a couple of envoys that were sent to meet Attila a couple of years after this war. One of the envoys was the man I quoted earlier, Priscus. And yeah. he wrote it down, that's why we got it. Yeah. The other one was the main envoy, who was named Maximinus. So, Max... Let's just call him Max. Max was travelling with Prescus, and they were going to meet Attila. They had several things to discuss, mainly about the Hunnic asylum seekers who had fled to Constantinople. Attila still wanted some of them back. Also, Max had to hammer out the details about the land south of the Danube that Attila claimed was now his after the war. So they were just the fine print, basically. Yeah. They needed to go and sort that out. So Max and Priscus set off with bodyguards and slaves, loads and loads of gifts that they can give to, like, grease the wheels of negotiations. <laughs> and a Hunnic envoy named Edico. So the group set off, and they marched for 13 days. Until they meet some more of Attila's envoys in Serdica. Max ordered that some beasts be slaughtered and ordered a feast to break the ice. But unfortunately they ended up insulting the Huns. Oh. Because when a toast to Theodosius and Attila was proposed, the translator of the group, a man named Vigalus, pointed out that Theodosius was a god and Attila merely a man, so they could not be toasted together. Bet he was sacked. <laughs> yeah, you just know that's an awkward pause. Vigilus, seriously. <laughs> you idiot, you idiot, you idiot, we're gonna die. <laughs> or through all saying that through a smile. Yeah. <laughs> you idiot, we're gonna kill us all. We're on a diplomatic mission. What part of diplomatic are you not? Oh, you idiot. Anyway. <laughs> They've got the swords out, Jeff. They've got the swords out. It's fine. Maximinus manages to soothe things over using some of his gifts. Yeah. That's why they're there. Gold! Yeah. Have some gems. He gives loads of stuff, silk gems, over to Edico, the Hunnic ambassador. So the group set off and spend a couple of days travelling north. At one point, they camp near a sacked town from the previous war. Ooh, awkward. <laughs> yeah, a bit awkward. <laughs> oh. Well, apparently they spent quite a while looking for a place that wasn't littered with bones to make a camp. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's just the Huns using the bones to make their tents and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Great resource everywhere. Yeah. Maximinus and Priscus just tiptoeing around. Ew. <laughs> it's awful, it's awful, it's awful. <laughs> At one point, a general arrived, a Roman general, with the Hunnic refugees that Attila wanted. They were handed over to the Huns. In probably quite a dramatic scene, since these were obviously prisoners that Attila wanted to execute. Oh. And were hiding in Rome, and the of Romans course, handed yeah. them over. So that couldn't have been pleasant. No. No. <laughs> Please, no. But they were handed over. No, dear. Again, easing the diplomatic mission. Eventually, they reached the Danube, and they crossed using tree trunks hollowed out. Apparently, there was no longer any evidence of Rome on the river anymore. Really? It was completely barbarian. Oh dear. It's all the lovely, like, marble signs taken down. It's like a bit of 
jaggedy wood carved in. Yeah. Barbarians was here. Yeah. It, it took quite a while to do that, yeah. but it was an image thing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So they cross the Danube, and eventually they arrive at the camp where Attila was. However, the Romans were stopped outside and met by a group of Attila's inner circle. One of the Huns asked what they wanted. Max replied that it was for Attila's ears alone. And then to Maximinus and Priscus's shock, the Hun speaking stated he knew exactly what they wanted and proceeded to tell the Romans exactly all the details that the Romans were there to discuss. You were wizard? <laughs> Which came as a little bit of a shock. Yeah, okay. Then, Maximinus and Priscus were ordered to leave unless they had anything new to discuss, because Attila had already heard everything that they were going to propose, and didn't want anything to do with it. Oh. Dumbfounded, the Romans start to pack up. It's like, we've literally spent weeks trying to get here, but fine, whatever. How the hell do they know what we were going to say? <laughs> What's going on? However, just before they left, a messenger came down to them. They were permitted to stay the night in camp because it was getting dark and they could leave in the morning. So things were looking good. Oh, okay, maybe they're going to talk to us in the morning, they thought. Mm -hmm. And the Romans went to bed, being very careful not to put their tent on a hill higher than the tillers. <laughs> yes. And sleep right next to their swords. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Apparently Attila would have taken great offence if anyone's tent was higher up than his. So they had to make sure it was put in the right place. I'm imagining his tent had a really high peak, like ridiculously tall, with lights on it and all sorts. I'll be honest, the more I found out about Attila, I more think he would go into a camp, demand everyone else's tent be below his, and then go and set up his tent in a ditch. Oh! <laughs> what a... Yeah. But you can make your own judgment on Attila. Right? <laughs> So anyway, the Romans sleep. They wake up in the morning, hoping that they'll be able to see Attila this day. However, the message was exactly the same. Go home, we know what you wanted to say, and we don't accept. So, this is where the gifts come in handy. Priscus does some political greasing of wheels, and eventually they manage to get an audience with Attila himself. However, it was an odd meeting. Attila did not even listen to Maximinus. Instead, he turned his attention on to the interpreter, Vigilus. Attila demanded that Vigilus produce the fugitives that he had demanded. Vigilus, confused, pointed out that the fugitives had already been returned. They were returned before they crossed the Danube. At this point, Attila grew angry and shouted that he would punish Vigilus if he was not an ambassador. Attila then ordered Vigilus to go all the way back to Constantinople and organise the return of the Hunnic fugitives. He stated that Maximinus and Priscus could stay and then just ended the meeting. The Romans returned to their tents, very confused. They've returned the fugitives. What's going on? And then a messenger arrives in their tent. The messenger reinforced the fact that Vigilus must return to Constantinople and negotiate return of all fugitives. And also, the Roman ambassadors were not allowed to purchase anything but food until this was settled. They were very clear on that fact. You are not allowed to purchase anything but simple food. Is that clear? And the Romans, a bit confused, go, yeah, okay, fine. What's going on? <laughs> this sounds like a very deadly game to me. <laughs> so, the Romans agree. No expensive purchases, no paying for ransoms, nothing at all. Maximinus and Priscus stay. Vigilus heads back to Constantinople. So, the two remaining Romans spend the next few weeks travelling with the Huns, until at last they come to one of Attila's permanent residence, which was essentially the same as their camp, 
just built with more permanent structures, apparently. <laughs> and at last, Attila agrees to meet the Romans. And this time he seemed much more friendly to negotiations. So they talk for a while, for a few meetings. Eventually, they didn't achieve much, Maximinus and Priscus, but they did manage to ransom one noble woman and her grandchildren. So they get back a couple of Romans that were captured during the war. It's not great, but it's all right. And they also do a bit of negotiations. Just want to pay taxes, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) So they do the job they were sent there to do, Nothing huge. And then they head back with a guide from Attila, who started off really friendly, apparently, and gave them a horse as a gift, and then halfway through the journey, suddenly grew hostile, took the horse back, and refused to eat with them. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, my woman friends, have a horse. No, taking the horse back. (laughs) Hate you. My food, go away. (laughs) So, on the way back to Constantinople. But on the way, they pass Vigilus who was returning from the capital to talk to Attila. Maximinus and Priscus leave the story here. Their job's done. They did their small diplomatic mission. Yeah. They go home. However, if we follow Vigilus, he arrives at the camp. And as soon as he is there, he's jumped on by a group of guards. Hmm. They search his belongings and find a huge sum of 50 pounds of gold. About 50 pounds of gold is a lot. Remember, 350 is what the Huns yeah. demanded originally and that's for a big nationwide ransom this is an individual 50 pounds of gold that's enough to feed a small army it's a ridiculous amount of money why is he carrying it the huns demand to know what the money's for vigilus replied it was for paying for ransoms Um, i'm here to pay for the ransoms of romans that you're holding but first of all this was far too much money for the payment of ransoms plus the huns point out to vigilus were we not very, very clear on the fact that you were not permitted to pay for ransoms just before you left? To which Vigilus has no answer. I didn't know that when I had to go at the time. <laughs> the Huns then threatened to kill Vigilus's son, who he brought along with him, until the interpreter finally confesses, because there has been intrigue going on. Oh, oh yes. We go back to the start of this story, when Maximinus and Priscus first set out. They set out with Edico, you remember him? Yeah. Yeah, the Hunnic envoy. Mm. What Maximinus and Priscus didn't know is that someone high up in Constantinople, possibly Theodosius himself, had promised Edico 50 pounds of gold to help Vigilus assassinate Attila. Maximinus and Priscus were just a diplomatic front for the assassin. However, as soon as they got to Attila's camp, Edico had told Attila everything. This explained why Attila was so hostile to Vigilus during the meeting and didn't talk to Maximinus at all, because he knew Vigilus was there to assassinate him. And it's why he sent him away immediately. However, just before Vigilus left, Edico met with him, still pretending to be in on the plot, and said, you need to bring the gold to me when you return, otherwise I'm not going to help you anymore. So Vigilus had gone back to Constantinople, got the money, and returned. But because Attila had made sure to tell Vigilus that he was not allowed to buy anything but food, Vigilus did not have an excuse for the money. So therefore, Vigilus was trapped red-handed. Bugger. Yeah. Now, this shows us, perhaps more than any story of conquest, what kind of man Attila was. Rather than just execute Maximinus, Priscus, and Vigilus on sight as soon as he heard of the assassination attempt, he set up a trap to capture Vigilus red-handed and let the other two just go. Which is quite remarkable. Yeah. But it doesn't stop there. Oh, dear. Because he doesn't kill Vigilus. He takes the 50 pounds of gold. Yeah. And then he demands another 50 pounds of gold 
for Vigilus's son's life. Oh. So Attila makes a tidy £100 gold profit on the whole thing and sends the son back but keeps hold of Vigilus. He then gets the very bag that the gold was being held in and gives it to one of his envoys and sends the envoy to Constantinople. Once there, the envoy showed the bag to the court of Theodosius and asked if they recognised it. And the envoy said, and I quote, Theodosius was the son of a nobly born father, and Attila too was of noble descent. But whereas Attila had proven his noble lineage, Theodosius had fallen from his and was Attila's slave, bound to the payment of tribute. Therefore, in attacking him covertly like a worthless slave, he was acting unjustly towards his better, whom fortune had made his master. So there you go, in, in the very court of Theodosius, with all the golden splendour all around, you have this Hunnic envoy calling Theodosius the slave of the Huns, oh. waving the empty bag of gold, saying, ha, ha, ha. You can't beat us on the battlefield. You can't beat us with assassins. <clears throat> we own you. That's brutal. Yes. We don't have a record of the reaction of Theodosius, but I can't imagine it would have been pleasant. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. So an interestingly detailed story we've got there just, just suddenly pops up in a period of very few sources. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But haven't quite finished yet, because negotiations start up again between the Romans and Attila, and go surprisingly well. Attila was suddenly more than willing to be reasonable. Attila pointed out once a noblewoman was found for one of his men, who happened to be Roman-born, then we'll call it quits. <laughs> I will stop encroaching on your land. You don't need to send any more of those fugitives I want. Just keep sending the money, and I will leave you completely alone. That's nice. Yeah. Theodosius and Constantinople as a whole didn't realise this at the time, but this is because Attila had just decided that he'd had enough of these for now, because he was going to turn his attentions to the West. Oh dear. <laughs> Poor West. And we'll catch up to what happens with Attila in the West next week in Valentinian's episode. But he has just utterly rinsed Theodosius dry. Yeah. Might as well go off and see what Valentinian's got. How is Theodosius still alive at this point? As yeah. in, why, why haven't people just killed him? It's like, you're an idiot. Well, shortly after this, Theodosius <laughs> is out riding a horse when something happened. We don't know what. We don't have any details, but we know there was an accident and he died. Oh, boring. So maybe it was a molehill. <laughs> maybe he slipped. Maybe a comet came out of the air and just hit him whilst he was on his horse. We just don't know. Uh, but yeah, he died shortly afterwards. That's Theodosius too. Ugh. It was going all right until Attila turned up. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but you could probably say about any emperor as well, though. <laughs> so I, I wonder if you'd put like I don't know Trajan if he'd been there at the time. I know it's a very different situation. It's impossible to do, it, but just hypothetically, Trajan versus Attila oh. death match. What happened? That would be good. But I think you're encroaching into Fightius Maximus. Sorry. So let's go into Fightius Maximus. Fightius Maximus. Okay, carry on. <laughs> What would happen, right, <laughs> if you did Attila versus another emperor, I don't know, for example, Trajan or something? Right, yeah, I think I understand where you're coming from. Um, yeah, it's interesting, because how harshly do we judge him here? Let's have a look at the goods, the pros, first. He did push the Huns back to begin with. Yeah. And Themius did, anyway. Um, <laughs> and his name. Yeah. There's... um. Also, some fighting that I've just had to leave out. For the first time in a very long time, I've had to just leave out some of Theodosius' story because he lasts so long, so much happens. 
there was actually a whole war with the Persians that happened at one point. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Did he win? No, but he didn't oh. lose either. Oh. Um, this is not long after he took charge himself. Pulcheria is still very powerful. There's skirmishes between the two sides. No one really comes out on top. So when he just taken charge, so when he's about three? <laughs> no, more, more like when he was about 16, 17. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, nothing really happens between the two sides, which is why I left it out, to be honest, because time reasons. But, yeah, he doesn't lose against the Persians. He doesn't win against them either. So, I mean, that's about it for good for Fidius Maximus. There's a bit of fighting going on, and he doesn't embarrass himself for the first half of his reign. But yeah. then he was utterly humiliated and destroyed more than once by Attila. But it's really tricky because it's... Was it faults with Theodosius or was it just because Attila was so damn good? Well, this this is what I put in my notes. It's like, <laughs> so was everyone. Attila rolled over everyone. Mm. Like, it, no one could stop him. And to Theodosius' credit, he tried. He did try. Yeah. He didn't sit back and just get drunk and go, oh, it'll be fine. He really... He'd spent five years on a montage. Yeah. That's a long <laughs> montage. He rebuilt the walls as well. He rebuilt the walls. And built the walls in yeah. his name. But how many Fidius Maximus points can we give to someone Without who was fighting. so utterly defeated by the enemy? Well, we can't. Not many. No, I'm going to give him some because he did, yeah, did do yeah. some fighting, but I, I don't think he can give him more than, say, two or three personally. Yeah. I'll go for two. I'll go for three. He he showed some spirit, so I'll give him three. Well, spirit's not going to... doesn't stop him dying, did it? No, that's why he only gets five out of twenty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's five out of twenty. Fightiest Maximus. Aprovium Crazium. But there's nothing really here. Okay. In a very long rule. I mean, he maybe overreacted with his wife slightly, with the whole Apple story. But again, that might be slightly hypocritical. Yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, on on the other side, I mean, he founded a university. He collated all the laws. I mean, he obviously seems very sane. There's nothing he, he did. That would have caused much opprobrium. No. And he definitely wasn't crazy. What? No, definitely not. I mean, it'd be zero. I mean, what sounds like me, he was investing in the future. Building a university, that's investment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In the which, walls and everything else. That's... Which leads into the next round. So yeah, I'm yeah. going to say zero as well. And we'll move on. Yeah. Zero. Success. Okay. You've already alluded to one. Founding a university. We've no. never had that before. No. You're definitely getting points for that. Yes. That's pretty good. I'm impressed. Then you've got the code. The laws and He the... collated all the laws. No one forced him to do this. This apparently was very much his own initiative. He decided it should be done. And I, although it's not, you could say because anyone could say, well, yeah, but it wasn't perfect. So it got rid of the weird contradictions. But it's the first step of that journey, isn't it? Yeah, it's first and arguably the hardest step. I mean, we'll get into Justinian's code later on, which was a huge improvement on this. Yeah. But it could not have been done at all if it wasn't for this. True. And th this is the foundations of solid and secure law in the Empire. Yeah. So that's good. I'm impressed with that. Um, and then the walls, which technically he didn't build. Some historians argue that they actually started during Arcadius's reign, but they were definitely completed and rebuilt during Theodosius's reign. Yeah. They're named after him. And yes, it was mainly Anthemius, but I think we need to give points. Yeah, well, it's got to, yeah. Yeah, the, these in walls are... You can't overstate how important these walls are. There is an argument to say that, that the Roman Empire lasts as long as it does because of these walls. They are just so hard to get past. And more importantly, they stopped Attila. 
They stopped Attila. In fact, it takes... The only thing that did. It takes the invention of the cannon in roughly a thousand years' time wow. before these walls finally fall. That's impressive. So there's actually a fair amount there that I'm quite impressed with. Yeah, it's done quite well. Um, yeah. I obviously can't go to loads and loads and loads, no. but I mean, he also he did lose a lot of land. Well, without going into too much detail on its tempo completo, he also ruled a long time, mm. and a lot of that was very stable. Yeah, we joked true. about it being boring at the start, but where would you rather live? during this time, the east or the <laughs> yeah, west. True. So he obviously kept everything stable, but, which is very he important. He lost a lot. He lost, what was it, a hundred cities of sacks? Yeah, well, that's it. A that lot was, of money as well was taken out of Now we go into the bad. Those Hunnic payments. Yeah. Trying to pay off the Huns. Which, I mean, to be fair, that it was only the first one that he did voluntarily. All the others. The 700 he paid because he had no choice. His army wasn't there. And all the rest were after conquest. But should he have... Paid them off. And again, it worked the well, first time the Huns invaded. He paid them off then, and it worked quite well. Yeah, but they did what typical bullies do. So I actually want more, want more, yeah, want more. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It started that because it still was not honourable. Yeah, the the sacking of at least a hundred cities in his empire during his rule isn't hugely successful. No. But then it is that fight it's Maximus. Yeah, but he's losing ground. It's the people. It's the economy. It's yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna link it a little bit. I I can't give him more than say four or five. Well, I'm going to go higher for that. Founding a university, bringing the laws together, creating a very good security system for the city. Okay, true. I think that at least gets him six, I'm saying. Okay. But you're right, I can't go any higher just because how utterly destroyed he was by the end. Yeah, I'm going to stick on my four then. So okay. I can have ten. Ten. Image of faces. So I imagine him with like a face. Yeah. Uh, quite a thin face. Yeah. Stern looking face, maybe. Yeah. Narrow at the chin. Yeah. That you you can see thing. this, can't you? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. That's what he looks like. Very similar to the other ones. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is some definite facial hair, though. Oh, he's got a beard! Yes! He's got a beard. It's a small beard. Oh, that's an 80s beard. Yeah, he's got a small... It might be a goatee. No, it's a bit no, on the side there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very light beard, but it's definitely a beard. It's nice that's... to see the beard is back. That's good, yeah. Beard yeah. is back. Very deep pupils as well, you think? Yeah, someone's really gouged at his <laughs> eyes, haven't they? His nose yeah. has clearly come off at some point and needs to <laughs> yes. stop back on. <laughs> or they made it and had to redo another one. Yeah, maybe. Um, Didn't like the glowing version. Hey, it's not bad. No, that's right. You've got a stern-looking face. Looks, yeah. He looks very emperor-y. Yeah. I think. I, I quite like that. Um, yeah. It's not great. I'm going to go for seven. Right, I'm going to match that. I agree. So that's a total of 3.5 for Imago then. Yes, okay. Next round, and it's actually a bit interesting. The most interesting this round's ever been. Let's go into it. Temple completed. How long's he last? You said quite a while. Yeah. 39 years. From 402 to 450. Oh! Yes. That's massive. Massive. That's... That is 48 years, by far the longest. And the reason why it's interesting is when we first started this, in my head we were only doing the West and we were going to cut off the Eastern Emperors at this point. Yeah. So Theodosius II we weren't going to do. So wow. I put the highest one, being Augustus, as five, mm. thinking no one will beat Augustus. He's broken the scale. He has broken the scale. But, fortunately, the scale was a very complicated <laughs> equation, which just bizarrely turned out to be 
divide by eight. So we can just <laughs> divide 48 by eight. And That's we easy. Will, yeah, we will get our score. So six. he scores a very impressive breaking the scale six. Nice. Yeah, there we go. Wow. Yeah. Now, I already know some people are already opening up Facebook to contact us and say, but he didn't rule on his own for all that time. You need to knock some of that off. But I'm just going to give him the full ones yeah. because that's and, impressive. And, and, if you, and if you listen to us enough, you know we're not consistent. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're anything but consistent. <laughs> so, yeah. It's all subjective. Yeah. So, yeah, I, there you go. That's nearly 50 years. That's which, amazingly impressive. Now you understand why I've had to just leave little bits of his life out. Yes. Because he just lasted so long. Yeah. Yeah, that is a 24.5 in total. I'd say that's about right. Yeah, it's not a great score. It's not an awful score. That puts him slightly below Caligula. <laughs> uh, and slightly above Julian. Ah, <clears throat> oh, Julian was rubbish though, wasn't he? <laughs> I wasn't impressed, no. no. <laughs> oh, so many people I still hate the fact we did not give it to him. He's so impressive. He's I, pathetic. I would say he is definitely <clears throat> the most overrated emperor we have covered oh by far yeah so we're now in the year 450 and can you remember when the west falls no nope. 476 oh so we're 26 years away from the fall yeah <clears throat> and how many emperors to go well we've got to go back in time to cover valentinian 3 next week okay then we'll figure out what's going on with Attila. And then we will come back to the east and we'll cover <coughs> Marcion, who is Theodosius's successor. A name I didn't even mention today, no. so we'll find out where he comes from. Out of nowhere. And then we abandon the east until series two. We go back to the west. And then in just the last few years, we <laughs> will cover nine emperors. The death rattle of the Roman Empire. Yes. Empire. That's really sad. <laughs> yeah. But before we do that, we need to discuss the most important thing today. Does he have it? Does he have a certain Well, he certainly excels the living. Yeah, that's true. Longest, longest serving emperor. But apart from that, built some good walls in his name that lasted, you know, they took cannons to take them down for a thousand years. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a definite no, but I'm just not feeling enough to I'm be honest. I'm not feeling it now, I'll be honest. No, I mean, it's not awful, but it's, uh, it's, it's a no, isn't it? Yeah, it's a no. Uh, but who knows, maybe his cousin next week... Little Valentinian, who's actually being controlled by his mother, Galla Placidia. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, she lived an interesting life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe he'll get it. Who maybe. knows? Maybe. Okay, right, long episode, so we'll just end it there, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, but don't forget, you can, we're on a Facebook page. We just hit, whilst recording this episode, 501 page likes. Yes. Thank so, you all... 499 of you I'm not going to account us to uh, you can also follow us on Twitter as well um, we put things up on there we're on pictogram not pictogram what's it called Instagram Instagram we're on Instagram as well yeah. that's how often we use it <laughs> um, you can also download us from Podbean iTunes and Stitcher if you think we're value for money and you'd like to contribute financially to the podcast you can do you can donate from as little as one dollar a month we'll pay for all the research materials that Rob uses so if you like what Rob does then Pay him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, and if you contribute any amount, I, the key thing you get is access to our Roman Republic Totalis Rankium, and I think we'll do Valentinian and Marcion, and then as we finish the Theodosians, 
we'll do another Roman Republic. Yeah. So um, if you have any requests for who you'd like, yeah. then uh, just contact us via Facebook or Twitter and uh, we'll consider it. Okay, all, right. all we need to say then is montage time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>
cooked spinach. Okay. And so, you, right, imagine a deep pan pizza. Right. Now, imagine pouring oil into that deep pan pizza, so it's literally swimming in oil. <clears throat> yeah. And then just float bits of spinach in this pool of oil. Yeah, yeah. And then get what only can look like raw meat that's been run under a hot tap. <laughs> <laughs> That's what was placed in front of me. I, I would ask questions. And you know what? It was amazing. Was it? <laughs> oh, it was so nice. It oh. looked really dodgy, but it was really nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Did you have the traditional uh, Naples pizza? It was basically a, a pizza with the cheese upon first and then the tomato upon top. Yes, I, th- I think I had one of those first. Yeah, really nice they? tomato on that one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that was good. I love Italian pizzas. They're great. Yeah. So that's three points to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did it, um, aha. Oh, no, you've already answered it. I was going to say if any of us saw any Roman bus, but that's another point to you. Yeah. That's five points to you. Um, <laughs> did any of us travel on water to get somewhere? Yes. So did I. <laughs> so that's one point to me. Yeah, I got the ferry to Capri, so there you go. Nice. Okay, fair enough. <gasps> Here's one you won't get. No, no. Won't be a point for me, but won't be a point for you either. Did <laughs> okay. any of us see a volcano? I didn't go up Vesuvius though. No, but you I saw did it. See it. Yes. Oh, damn it. There. Yeah. Okay, it's, okay. oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Especially when you stood in Pompeii <gasps> and you're staring up at the volcano and you're just going, "Whoa!" Yeah. That's what happened. The, the first day we got to Naples um, last year, just looking out and seeing Vesuvius is just amazing. Because I saw the sunrise over it, and that was spectacular. In my first hotel, because I stayed in Naples to begin with, we were halfway up a cliff opposite Vesuvius. Oh, so beautiful. the sun would rise into our hotel room over Vesuvius. Oh, good times. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. And good. Uh, uh, Pompeii as well, spectacular. Yes. It? Yeah, if but you're listening and you've never been, go. Go it's now. <laughs> Drop what you're doing, just go. What's amazing, you see the kind of the, the photographs and images of the plaster casts. But nothing, it doesn't, when you see them in real life, it's so much more haunting mm. and real. Especially the ones that are halfway through writing something on the wall, saying, help, the volcano's <laughs> coming. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. one was, uh, actually, in all seriousness, though, the dog one freaked me out a bit. Yeah. There was one of a dog, and it, you could barely tell it was leg. a dog, it was so twisted. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit, sort of. Oh, <laughs> did you did you, when you went to Pompeii? Did you go near the spa area where the old spa, not modern spa? <laughs> and they had a, a, just one woman in a cast in like a, a a glass container. Yes, yes. And you can yeah. see like the ripples in her clothing and where the belt was. It's just, yeah, it's just freaky, creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Mm, okay, it's six now, seven now. I've got one point. I wanted a boat, remember? Oh, okay, fair enough. Okay. Seven, seven, one. Seven, one. Yeah. But this one, special one, for ten points. Yeah, go on then. Ten whole points. On their holiday, did any of us see some Norwegian fjords? Did no. you, Rob? You didn't? No. no. Oh, no. Oh, that's ten points to me then, because I did. I saw loads of them. Canoe for the fjords. <laughs> Genuine Roman fjords. <laughs> I was pining for the fjords. They, they went to Rome, probably. <laughs> went to, probably. They went to Norway. That's, yeah. Oh, so okay, that's that's eleven eleven seven to me. Well done. Seven eleven. Seven eleven. Good game. Well done. Good game. Yeah. Thank you. That's us shaking hands. Yes. That you can't see. And we're yeah. not actually doing. No, we're not. No. <laughs> anyway, sorry for wasting your time. Goodbye. Yeah. This is the audio equivalent of sharing your photos <laughs> <Yes>. with someone. <laughs> 
Yes, it no is. one's listening anymore. No. Right. Anyway, well, if you are listening, see you next time. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Good resilience. Bye. Bye. when you realise it's, it's in pretty much oh shit that went there might be my car that sounds like my car really? yeah Rob will be back soon he's just checking whether this car's got broken into or not I hope he hasn't been broken into I think it is his car opening the door it's really loud I wasn't broken into that. Good.